You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the podcast where we're talking about Bitcoin. On today's show, we have the author and curator of one of my favorite books in the space, and that's Mr. Phil Champagne. Phil's book titled The Book of Satoshi is a comprehensive overview of all the writings, forum posts, and teachings of Satoshi Nakamoto. In almost 100 episodes of doing the Bitcoin Fundamental Show, I don't think I've ever covered anything on Satoshi Nakamoto, so this ought to be a fun episode. So without further delay, here's my chat with Phil. You're listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by The Investor's Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Phil. And Phil, I am a huge fan of your book. In fact, I might go as far as saying this is my favorite Bitcoin book on the market. And I am thrilled to talk to you. I'm a a little upset that we haven't done this sooner or have gotten together sooner to have the conversation. Uh, Yes, it'll be interesting. I'm very, (laughs) um, very um, (laughs) honored by what you said. (laughs) My first question for you is just what inspired you to curate all this information and all this? I mean, there's so much that you piece through with this book in the forums Mm -hmm. and everything. What what led to this? So... I learned about Bitcoin in 2012 and somewhere in around 2013, I wanted to dig deeper. I mean, at some point in 20, late 2012, I can't remember in 2012, I decided to read the white paper, go a little bit more in depth. And after that, I um, wanted to learn a little bit more about Satoshi Nakamoto himself. And so I started reading a little bit of the blog posts here, the post that he's done and so on. And it really uh, struck me that this is an amazing discovery and the fact that this guy left after two years you know and nobody know where he is just just imagine if um, linus torvalds for example who created linux kernel was an anonymous person we don't know really who, you know it'll be not as impactful because you know linux kernel is still amazing but not as impactful as something that can revolutionize, make central banking out of uh, completely out of business. But considering that he left, and I could see that uh, eventually it was still early, but I could see, you know, 10 years down the line, which happens to be this, uh, this decade, you know, uh, it'll be history. It'll be now, I mean, this will be the only thing that we have of this, because uh, I, I could foresee that, okay, I guess he's, he wasn't involved at all in 2014 is when the book came out and he didn't come up, except for at the moment I was uh, going into the editorial process. I am not uh, Dorian uh, Satoshi Dorian Nakamoto. Yeah, yeah. That is the only thing that came up. And it was already there was a controversy. Is it really, really him? <laughs> or is my email account got... I, I mean, it was so funny to see already there was some sort of controversy about if it was really him after pausing for two years. So imagine if there was just a little bit of a controversy with an email that is existing. And then you've got this guy, Craig Wright, yeah. comes up and it offers nothing at all in terms of proof, you know, uh, so it's, uh, but the controversy is at dial at 12 now, you know, because the more time passes, the more proof someone who's going to come up and make that claim really is going to have to come up with uh, some strong claim. At this point, I mean, I don't see how this will ever 
happen. I mean, it's pretty clear that his intention was to get out. And by making this, he really decentralized ownership of Bitcoin. And I could see that the impact from a historical perspective was amazing, that eventually everybody will be interested to learn more about this guy and who created it. The more this gets mainstream, the more interesting. And just like we're interested about knowing about the Ford Model T and that kind or, you know, the Wright brothers and that kind of thing. This is the only thing that we really have about him. So. Yeah. And, you know, for me, anytime I'm trying to understand how something works, you know, I, a lot of people know I started off as a value investor. It was like, let me study Buffett. Let me study everything the guy has Mm -hmm. said. Let me study every book he's read. And so I guess for me on my Bitcoin journey, this book has been like security analysis for a value investor where you can tap into all of what he had said. And he said a lot. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people are familiar with the white paper, but they're not as intimately familiar with all the forum posts. And there was a lot of forum posts. I'm curious, did you include everything that he ever wrote in the book or did you curate only certain things that you thought were worthwhile? The, in terms of all these posts, almost I skip a few that was just uh, release, uh, Bitcoin release zero one something. There were too many of them. I mean, too many, but I mean, a few of them where it, there's just that standalone. I could have included those, but I wanted to, um, or I could, you know, it, it would have been a little bit uh, redundant. And mm. so I didn't want to extend. But that's the only exception for in terms of blog posts. The other thing, obviously, is private email exchange. I wish I had been in contact, for example, with others that came up and claimed that they did had conversation and those things. But at that time, there was not that much controversy. And it would have, uh, you know, there was no Bitcoin cash, Bitcoin, anything where they could push for Bitcoin cash versus Bitcoin, the traditional Bitcoin that we know. If there's any kind of post uh, email exchange, private email exchange with uh, Satoshi regarding this, already it gets into a controversy where these really, real email from Satoshi or whatever. I mean, it's not that much as important as people think in the sense that he's not here anymore. And obviously all the changes that happen, you think about Lightning Network, you think mm-hmm. at what's coming up with the coin pool, which is going to be even better than Lightning Network. So you've got those things were not even in, um, in the front seat or in the thinking on a whiteboard of anywhere regarding the Bitcoin conversation at the time of Satoshi. So to think about what you would think at that time without all these notions of major discoveries that we have is um, missing the point. Although the, the book is called The Book of Satoshi, uh, he's not a god or, I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't escape naming and calling it this way because it's <laughs> almost like the nerd's equivalent of a religion. You know, he yeah. comes, he saves us from central <laughs> bankers and then he, he goes away and now you have got that religion that kicks in, you know, and um, so, yeah. I mean, he was obviously a savant in many different fields of study, Uh Yeah, but yeah, just being able to go back and kind of read exactly what it was he was saying or not saying is just such Mm -hmm. a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you talk about, and I hope you don't mind, I plan on reading a couple things from the book that I just find quite fascinating. And you brought up this idea of like Bitcoin cash and him forking this was things that he wrote about i mean i think that's the other thing i kind of took away was like there was so much foresight 
in what was to come in Mm -hmm. eight years uh you know he talks about mining and how it would turn into you're talking about the dns right yes yes yeah Yeah. explain to folks so uh, basically i mean there was already uh the concept of a starting well there was something eventually that came up it was called namecoin but it was um i can't remember if the dns was how much traction there was with that but it's basically namecoin was eventually what became of it is uh, to record domain name uh, using the blockchain and you record you buy and then uh, it will make a re- record basically it'll be a, a special transaction that recorded the domain name with ip address and so on so therefore completely decentralizing those things obviously you've got that with those small contracts on uh, ethereum and all that but um at that time you could have that uh, with um well with dns he didn't want to alter bitcoin for that but he understood that uh with proof of work if you had two competing currencies using proof of work, one will be having, uh, you know, the, the, one of the two will be the dominant one and the other will be subject to 51% attack if a few miners just jump on it and then moves things around. And uh, so there'll be more of a danger. I mean, you've got this problem with uh, Bitcoin gold or whatever. It takes uh, two weeks of transaction confirmation before in certain places uh, exchange will accept a withdrawal, that kind of thing. That's what I heard anyway. So it shows you the danger of a weak proof of work. And so he understood that uh, what would be best is if there was some sort of a way of combining both of them so that the miners will be able to mine both of together or in some way, you know, there will be some sort of a soft fork or fork. I'm not sure exactly all the details, but, you know, he talks about that. And so he understood exactly the, the challenge, but it didn't sound like what we will call a Bitcoin maximalist because, you know, he's considering the side version of thing with its own blockchain, with its own little tokens to for this very specific, but the core saving platform will still be bitcoin so phil i found the spot in here that was talking a little bit about forking and things like that so satoshi wrote the nature of bitcoin is that such once version 0.1 was released the core design was set in stone for the rest of its lifetime he then there's some more that he writes here but then he goes to this paragraph he, he says i don't believe a second compatible implementation of bitcoin will ever be a good idea so much of the design depends on all nodes getting exactly identical results mm-hmm. in lockstep that a second implementation would be a menace to the network and mm-hmm. he says the mit license would be compatible with all other licenses and commercial uses so there's no need to rewrite it from a licensing standpoint and so then at the very end of that post he says I know most developers don't like their software forked, but I have real technical reasons in this case. Crazy, like (laughs) to be writing this. And I think that post was from 2010, June of 2010. Uh Yeah, just um, a few months before he left. Yeah. Yeah, it is um, mostly in the latter, in the last six months is where we see a lot of samples of his foresight because it's. Things are starting to be much more mature in Bitcoin at that time. It was not like the very first six months of the very first year. The conversation mostly about hiccups and uh, or conversation about the um, expanding the throughput or what will be what will be the situation one day regarding the throughput and all that. And while in the last six months or 
couple of things like concept like this that were more starting to be dominant because now we're talking to, okay, now we've resolved all those little hiccups in some way for, you know, the conversation about the software, making sure it's stable and all that. They can afford to spend some time into philosophically speaking for how to go from there and what will be eventually the challenge that will need to be avoided or could face with. So this is the question I was dying to ask you for a while now. What do you think was the most interesting thing that you uncovered as you were reading all of this in depth and trying Mm -hmm. to piece it together and organize it for everybody to digest? What was the one thing that you just kind of walked away from and were like, wow. Well, I, I could see just the value. And knowing the mindset of this guy who came up, I mean, simple. He was still around here. He would be, be getting the, um, the Nobel Peace Prize and the mad, uh, Nobel uh, Prize of uh, Mathematics. You know, yeah. um, obviously, central banking is about war. So if you eliminate central banking, I guess he could have the Nobel Peace Prize as well. Anything else that stood out to you other than just his sheer like breadth? Um, well, the conversation, uh, a couple of blog posts were fascinating. One of them is, um, I mean, the two that I found astonishing about, you know, the level of tweaking of his mind is one is about on the software side, when he's talking about the Byzantine challenge, you know, chapter 13, I think. Yeah, the Byzantine general's problem. Yeah, yeah. I actually, even though I was networking and all that, it's more like PG side of things, uh, theoretical things. And I, I wasn't much aware of that, but I was fascinated about this aspect of, okay, yeah, well, a problem that they thought in the 70s, there was no solution to it. And yeah, I mean, in some way, you've got a, finally a solution. That was one thing where in the 80s and 90s, never one, and nobody would have believed you that you would have a decentralized currency that will be satisfying, no double spending and a fixed 21 million Bitcoin. Nobody would have believed it in the 80s, you know, and here we are. Just like in 2009, 2010, you would come up as, yeah, well, there'll be a layer two network where you're going to have millions of transactions per second if you want to, and we'll be able to support over Bitcoin and it will be, that will avoid the problem. Now we're at this level where Lightning Network is out and people are picking on, okay, well, it's complicated, it's awkward, it's not ideal. It's, uh, but again, people are forgetting that uh, this is all constantly being worked on and we're going to have something even better and better or improving it. So I'm sorry, the original question was... <laughs> no, 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 you covered it. Uh, yeah, you yeah covered. that's right. Actually, the second part, the second was the um, economic side of things. And that's where he makes that comparison to a gray metal, you know, the... Um, I think I know which section you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about, uh, he was talking about how to value it, right? Is that what you're getting at? No, it says, uh, imagine, as I thought experiment, imagine there was a base metal as scarce as gold, but with the following properties, boring gray in color, not a good conductor of electricity. Not particularly strong, but not ductile or easily malleable either. Not useful for any practical or ornamental purpose. Basically a metal like, like, all right, nobody cares about it. But with one special magical property can be transferred over a communication channel. Mm-hmm. And it's in, it's in sight, it's exactly the reason why a Bitcoin has value. You know, it's um, one of the reasons why gold bugs don't get it. 
you know, um, and the, the thing that is funny, because all they see is like, oh, it's a digital air. They always say things like that. But they're missing the point. Because first of all, like Peter Schiff, you know, they, they're referring to this first Austrian school of economics. Um, I'm sorry. I had those names. I forgot them. He was the first one to elaborate on the, on an, in a book why a certain metal or a certain thing will become money eventually, naturally, you know, and it's uh, basically there's some sort of a utility for it. Eventually it comes up, you know, that was his claim. You know, there was some utility in the beginning and uh, or it's um, ornaments or, you know, something like that. In the case of gold, it's uh, jewelry. And eventually it leads to, well, I'm going to exchange it because I know somebody is going to use it for for a utility purpose. And eventually it takes into a more a medium of money, more than actually for its utility. But there was another guy later on uh, in the Austrian school who actually went beyond. He says, no, actually all it is, is the market has to believe there will be a value in it. If someone see that there was value for it yesterday, and today, and it's still maintaining it, then an expectation will be that tomorrow is still going to have some value. And this can be transported into uh, the 200-day moving average for the price of Bitcoin, for example. Because mm. you see, okay, yeah, uh, it is maintaining. It's not going back to $10, $100, or $1,000. You know, so pretty much confidence is high that uh, we're reaching the bottom at uh, $20,000 or something around there. And uh, eventually, you know, at the most, it's going to go up and it's the expectation that it's going to maintain its value. And that is actually the basic of what money is, is that when a market knows that there'll be always a demand for it, whatever, if it has an inherently and utility or not. Well, in the case of Bitcoins, obviously, it can be transported over communication, something that gold needs a, a third party, a Trusted agent. Derivative, yeah. a derivative yeah. in the forms of a tr- third party that you need to trust to be able to do any transaction over the electronically regarding gold. While Bitcoin's totally the opposite. You would need a third party for physical Bitcoin, you know, a coin or where you have to trust, you know, like a check. Someone gives you a paper wallet, for example, that um, while he knows the private key for it, you know, and uh, there's no yet mechanism for Maybe it's going to happen one day, but uh, in terms of uh, on the physical side, Bitcoin right now requires a third party, while in the electronic world, it's a natural medium where it's the opposite for gold. Phil, I get the impression that you were just like your background in software engineering and networking kind of made this to just be really obvious when you saw it. And I'm assuming you were a gold, believed in gold in order to store value. And so is that how your Bitcoin story kind of emerged? Is those paths crossing? Yes. Yeah. I mean, because I know a lot of software engineers, obviously, and many are, yeah, and uh, definitely not Austrian school. They're more like socialists or oriented and that kind of thing. And so central banking is just great, you know, uh, for them. So even though I can explain to them, I told them about Bitcoin, how it works and all that. It's, um, you know, it's just like, okay, mostly in the beginning. So what? You know, it's, um, it, no interest was there. Uh, now the interest is there because you see the price moving up. But now it's more like, okay, should I buy not? And now it's more about the known appreciation that it got, not for their core belief that, oh, wow, this has a purpose beyond just making money is really to challenge 
and the perception of central banking today and how things are. And I mean, this is the one thing that I found is the most valuable. It's not Bitcoin itself as the, it's actually the idea because the number of people that converted to Austrian school, learning more about the central banking and through reading more about Bitcoin is much higher than what would have happened if Bitcoin did, was not uh, created. And so uh, to those who think that, for example, Bitcoin might have been a uh, deep state job or something like that, or it's a Satoshi is behind it, uh, the CIA or whatever, I don't see how they would shoot themselves in the foot like this by releasing something, a concept like this that not only wakes up the people about what it is when there's something that is not controlled by central bank. And the second thing is that actually, now that the idea is out there, even if they destroy Bitcoin, it's just in some way, whatever they, you know, everybody's attached to the idea and they, they're going to push for it to come back. So it's either through legislation or voting, voting them out or whatever. The, the cat is out of the bag. The, um, the so, idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the most powerful to me. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Our friends at Coriant provide wealth management services centered around you. Coriant's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Coriant put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Coriant.com. That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network in the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep with Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I think most Bitcoiners would agree with you that it's kind of uh, not that important to try to understand whether this was an individual person or a group or whatever. But <laughs> I'm curious what Phil thinks. Do you... <laughs> Just because it's fun. It's not because, and I think we actually do a better service of not even talking about it, to be quite honest with you. 
but it is a little fun to try to speculate. Oh, yeah. no, I don't what, think what it's think. a problem. I think I it's think an individual uh, person. It is uh, hilarious to um, <laughs> to see. I mean, I think the peak of I could see, you know, in 2013 to 2016, I think that was the peak of the number of articles on New York yeah. Times or pick a place who might be Satoshi Nakamoto and including the Newsweek article in 2014 that was just released at the same time or just before I released the book. And um, these are, you know, that was really at a peak time. Now people set up, you know, the mainstream media and all that. They're settled in the idea, okay, well, I guess we're never going to find out who he was. It's useless to repeat again who might be it or whatever. I mean, everybody went there. So, and there's no more clues. And I guess it'll remain like this. And so therefore, there's nothing shaking up in this area for that. But yeah. What do I think? Um, I would say that he's probably human. He's not from an external. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's just a single person or more than one. I would suspect it's just a single person. Yeah. And I think that it's some the kind of people that were involved in the cyberpunk, you know, groups kind yeah. of thing. You know, yeah. that same kind of mentality as those folks, whether it's one of them or not. Or, or was silently observing things, or I don't know. But it's uh, that's where I, I would focus, you know. There's a couple specific questions people had online uh, with respect to the first one is he, she, they, I have no idea. They wrote in a way that it seemed like they were from the UK. And they also wrote in a way yeah. that made them seem like they were American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your take on that? Yeah, and uh, some people have done analysis of, um, there's a bunch of tidbits like it. It's funny. Some have studied the time zone at the time. Yeah, I've seen that too. And it's, uh, yeah, it was dominant in, I I forgot, I think it might have been dominant in in some way leaning to, actually, I don't remember. But to me, it's, no, it's just a one clue, but is it? Was it doing this on purpose or not? And uh, again, with VPN on top of that, uh, for whatever uh, access or emails that he was saying privately, there were emails that uh, he, there were some clues about VPN issues that might be indicated in those things. So he probably wanted to try um, to make things more fuzzy. So mixing things with English and American English would be would make sense. How about his coins? So mm. I believe the number is there's a million that he yeah. has still in his address. They've never moved. What do you think's going on? Do you see these coins ever coming back on the market? Do you see, what do you think he's doing with that or she's yeah. doing with that? It is the one thing that is very curious to is why. I have a theory. I want to hear yours. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, my first question I'm asking is like, okay, why did he left and you know you did all that mining and all that and by the way the the mining that he's done he was on purpose trying always mining in the late past 10 minutes Mm. so the first 10 minutes he was allowing others to miners to get them pick up to pick them up so then was only starting his mining to in the late after 10 minutes just so that Mm. okay at least it'll be moving ahead you know and uh so it's like the opposite of uh, pre-mining, you know, the concept yeah. was, I want to give as much possibility to the others. Uh, so it was cool. But um, what, um, sorry, your question was. Uh, no, well, no. So I guess my theory is a person who, oh, yeah. who already has 
significant wealth, they don't need this to be successful. They're already wealthy. And especially if it's a person who lives a, a fairly humble life and they have plenty of means mm -hmm. to do whatever it is they want to do, oh. they don't need to have a billion dollars in buying power as we know it today. So I, I guess I kind of suspect that this person is well off. They're extremely, extremely intellectual and smart and have a grasp just on so many different fields of study. They seem mm -hmm. to be an academic yeah. based on the writing, right? Yeah, um, it is. But the question then is what is interesting, no matter what, is why did he uh, decided not to, for example, when he decided to to leave in, in November of uh, 2010. It's like, okay, uh, what I'm going to do is I'll, um, I'll take all the Bitcoin that I had in mine and I'm going to send that to the invalid address. Bitcoin address, you know, to make it obvious to anyone that I'm gone. This is not about to move. And this is obviously a fake address because, you know, I'm going to, you know, you write down instead of um, something hash, you know, you've got the long message as your ash, your uh, Bitcoin address. So that is also an interesting aspect because now there's always those conspiracies that, oh, eventually it's going to come up, it's going to drop the price. And or you've got, oh, and mostly these stories are coming from uh, critics of Bitcoin. The subject of that is never, is more often used uh, in a negative way. Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing I'm wondering why he didn't kill that story right up front by making that move. If he, his intention was never to use those. So Satoshi's a master of game theory. I think that that comes out yeah. in yeah. so much of his writing and just so much of the yeah. way he thinks about things. So what about the idea that the initial coins that were mined are maybe a final incentive scheme or a, a final incentive for maybe uh, putting forth additional lines of code to do something? Yeah, some, uh, some reward. Um, it might be... That, you know. Who knows? Well, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, it's fun though. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's the one well, thing we wonder is just those things like, okay, in 10 years from now or 20 years from now, 30 years from now, the question we're going to be asking ourselves is, um, okay, is, uh, did Satoshi move his Bitcoin in 30 years from now? Mm -hmm. Will we return to the moon in 30 years from now? You know, yeah. these are the kind of questions. Oh, I know. But that, so it's, uh, it's those kind of things that are interesting on the forward aspect. And yeah. he says, okay, it'll be fun to see the result of that. Obviously, there's, there's more, but... Everyone's got are. an opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, any good orange pilling stories that you have from using the book or talking to people and being able to use the book and reference them to certain things in the book? Do you have any cool stories like that? Of people that I talk to, yeah, that you just talk okay. to at a conference or whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. I had a uh, a dentist when I was in North Carolina. A very cool guy, and um, so I told him. I mean, I told him I wrote the book, and I gave him a copy and all that. But you know, it was more like interesting for him. And when he had uh, a young daughter, first, you know, so I we sent um we sent a gift, you know, and one of those was a paper wallet or at the time was the equivalent of um, 20 or $50 in Bitcoin. Yeah. In a paper wallet, you know, so we send that by mail. And um, so recently, I think 
just a year or two ago. He called, oh, he, he just pinged me and he wanted to learn more. You no, know, because now it's just, just at this rate, you'll be able to pay. Others can be able to pay for college. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it is, um, it's just that he, he see that, wow, okay, now I appreciated that. 20 or 50 bucks to a thousand dollars. I can't remember how much we gave and I would have to track that, but, um, you know, a big amount. So he was asking me, okay, I'm curious to know. And I saw it. Then I, I told him a little bit more information about what, how we can do those things and gave him. So yeah, that was interesting because the fact that he received, well, his daughter received Bitcoin. No, it's, it's more like, okay, indirectly, orange pill basically because now you realize uh wow okay this thing is uh you've got in direct involvement with it mm-hmm. and and sometimes you know i i also gave a five bucks to somebody else um at some place and i wonder today what happened you know if he actually kept it or you know and then realize i'm just that, that five bucks is fifty dollars today or no, actually 500 bucks so it gets um, everyone's attention. And I think that that's, yes, that's part yeah. of the game theory that I think yeah. he knew he was designing is if I can just get it into a few people's hands up front, mm-hmm. time yeah. and, you know, because if a person says, oh, okay, here's $20 worth or they get it for free, especially there at the beginning and people start yeah. trading it for a couple pennies, like if it goes from 10 cents to 40 cents, that starts to create quite yeah. the the buzz and right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that is, it's the other side of the coin is a lot of people saw the kind of move it did, you know, in the last uh, five, 10 years yeah. and so on. And their the expectation is it'll be the same kind of multiplication factor in the same mm-hmm. time growth, which is not going to mean we're talking about the curve, you know, a log scale mm-hmm. a curve. And so the growth, uh, well, yes and no. Because if we measure that in dollars, uh, no, we're going to have an S curve like this, and then hyperinflation, it's going to come yeah. back up, you know. Yeah. But for in terms of uh, comparison, for example, with if we put it the gold Bitcoin ratio, at some point, it's going to be a, a subject of conversation because now it's going to be almost irrelevant, irrelevant to talk about the. Bitcoin price in dollars when the dollar is fluctuating and uh, getting so much beaten up with the bond market flushing into the toilet and uh, prices of everything going up mm-hmm. that um, you're going to be more like looking at the price of gold versus Bitcoin and how much traction Bitcoin is catching to gold and that kind of is going to get the traction because you know, we're talking about what a factor of um, is it a factor of 10. Um, Hey, I forgot the uh, numbers. It's on my pin tweet for uh, on Twitter. Uh, I think I did that there. Well, you're pulling that up, Phil. I yeah. wanted to uh, just highlight one of the things that I personally found fascinating also in your book here. This was back in February of 2010. There was a person, and this is just when they started to have market prices uh, for Bitcoin. Mm. And this is what Satoshi wrote. He said, in the absence of a market to establish a price, New Liberty Standard estimates based on production cost is a good guess and a helpful service. The price of any commodity tends to gravitate towards the production cost. If the price is below cost, then production slows down. 
If the price is above cost, profit can be made by generating and selling more. At the same time, the increased production would increase the difficulty, pushing the cost of generating towards the price. In the later years, when new price generation is a small percentage of the existing supply, market price will dictate the cost of production more than the other way around, which I don't know if we're in that latter category or the former category. I kind of think we're still in the former. And then his final thing that he wrote, he said, at the moment, generating effort is rapidly increasing, suggesting people are estimating the present value to be higher than the current cost of production. That was back in 2010. So this is basically the labor theory of value that he's talking about. This is, you know, like anybody who's a commodity uh, trader who's trying to figure out the price of any commodity would would say this is the model. And I guess for me, I find it crazy that a guy or a girl who wrote all this code and designed all of this game theory is quoting things that, I mean, you'd have to be a commodities trader to be able to, right? Yeah, like, it, is, it is, uh, it's not, um, ordinary background. Yeah. It's not, uh, it's def- definitely. You're dealing with a person to, who's just covering yeah. so many fronts, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and what I think is really fascinating about this, that people maybe that aren't intimately familiar with Bitcoin um, so he's talking about commodities. He's talking about how when the price runs, everybody who's trying to harvest it or trying to capture it or mine it or whatever, they're highly incentivized to try to capture that profitability. But what's so fascinating about Bitcoin is because of the difficulty adjustment, mm-hmm. no matter how hard they try or how many miners come online, it's only going to extract a certain rate yeah. uh, based yeah. on where you're at in the four-year cycle. The big with gold is... Yeah. Um, that uh, the supply is fixed now it's just the hashing power that will vary depending on market it's the hashing power will fluctuate depending on the market but the supply is fixed while the goal it's going to be the uh the supply is going to come up and will adjust uh, the price and uh so it is uh, quite of a difference and it is um, one of the distinction that uh, people are spinning their heads into the, those in the commodity sectors. Yeah. They have to adjust their mindset when it comes to that. <laughs> Tremendously, because you can't do this in the physical realm. This is only possible mm-hmm. in a quasi-physical slash digital yeah. realm. Yeah, which set of rules. Yeah, fascinating, yeah. fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see what else I got here for you. What are arguments that never seem to end that Satoshi has already addressed in the writing that just make you roll your eyes when you see the arguments online? Actually, yeah, not. I don't have any specific that uh, Satoshi. What I will be rolling my eyes is when someone comes up and say that um, Bitcoin is not scarce. Because it's divisible. It's like okay, the pizza, the pizza <laughs> argument. <laughs> yeah, yes, I mean, I would say it's yeah, okay. Bitcoin is uh, scarce, but uh, the satoshis are less scarce. <laughs> but and Phil, the crazy part is some of these people making these arguments are yeah. academic economists. I think I think it's uh, it's the concept that uh, suddenly they have to deal with uh, something else than this goal that they kept fighting for against. Now they have to turn around and uh, just like what we talk about the uh, the supply of Bitcoin is static in terms of and the rate of supply is static, yeah. regardless of how many people are mining and all that. And then um, the 
traders have to adjust that to this mindset. In their case, you know, they're actually lose their mind because now it's something that they have not recognized before in their academic paper and something like that. And now it, it's um, showing how crazy uh, the fundamentals they've been taught in terms of economics makes that their pillars of thoughts is weak on their structure of central banking and paper money and all that. It's based on a weak structure that when they are facing with something else completely different, uh, they're not able to actually make reasonable adjustment to make appropriate content, you know, discussion to make this statement about, oh, if you can divide it in billions of billions of Bitcoin, therefore it's uh, infinity. It's, it's just like the stock split, you know, it, they don't get it. It's like, okay, it's just like everybody's going to have twice as much share, but nothing has changed. You know? Yeah. Market cap's the same. Yeah. 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 So it is uh, mind boggling that the crazy are yeah. kind of people that uh, fall to in that trap. Big difference between adding numbers to the right of the decimal point versus to yeah. the left. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, and I think Peter Schiff somebody said something like that too. And that's <laughs> where I lost my mind. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he's, they're so stuck on, I need to find something, some dirt about Bitcoin yeah. that they actually lose their mind. I love when Adam back says, hey, sometimes the best way to, to expose somebody is just hand them a mic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors if you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time an iflex stretch studio franchise is the business for you iflex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the joint chiropractic with over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers there's never been a better time to own an iflex franchise in your market an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joints range of motion, helping you move more freely. Prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast. Don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. Find out more today. Call 888-994-3500. 539 or visit iflexpodcast.com call right now 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com kyle you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things how do you keep up with all the day-to-day -day headlines for your portfolio companies yeah so i used to have a ton of issues with this and that was until i started using yahoo finance Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Hey, uh, this you mentioned this earlier about coin pool and you yeah. mentioned it in reference to lightning network. Explain what this is and explain what you think this is moving forward. So, yeah, so the coin pool, what is cute about it is that, okay, so you look at the Lightning Network white paper, there's um, 56 pages for, of the white paper you yeah. know, compared to, what, 10 pages for Bitcoin. The uh, white paper for coin pool is something like eight or nine pages. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, wow, okay. The um, benefit of that is that suddenly, okay, so the Lightning Network is where you and I, we cr- can create a channel and now we can, um, we just make a transaction using a multi-sig on Bitcoin channel. And this opens up the, the channel between the two of us. Say so we put one Bitcoin each. So there's two Bitcoin in that Bitcoin multi-sig. Now the output, uh, the rule for how we're going to allow withdrawal from this, from this, uh, the output section of this transaction where we put those two Bitcoins will be set onto a commitment transaction that we establish where, uh, so if you go away, I'll have a transaction that I can publish to close the channel and mm-hmm. get my phones back. So it's all sufficient in a way that uh, no matter what happens and uh, we're able to, either one of the two goes away, we're fine. And if we change that balance between the two of us, you know, I send you 1.5 Bitcoin. Now you have 1.5 Now there's the new commitments and there's ways for you. You, you should not be able to transmit the old. I, actually, I should not be able to transmit the old where I had one Bitcoin and you had one Bitcoin. Those old commitments has to be tear apart, you know, made invalid. Well, now the, what it is, is a mechanism for penalizing where you would penalize me by grabbing all of the Bitcoin, the two Bitcoin to you, if I ever publish the old commitment. So it's a little bit complex, but it's well, 48 or 55 pages of white paper for I'm giving you the, um, the quick handle, but it allows a bunch of transaction. And if you have a connection with a guy named Charlie, then I can pay Charlie via you where we exchange and all that. And it's 
just uh, fascinating. And now, you know, the network is big and all that, but it always requires channels to be open between two people. Now, the coin pool is where you, I, 10 people, we're all going to be joining into a single pool and I can withdraw at any time without closing or I know I can vanish and uh, get my withdrawal without having to make an an on-chain transaction. And those coin pool also can be used to connect through with the Lightning Network or another coin pool. So it's the impact is amazing. The benefit that we saw with Lightning, uh, this is going to be even better. Just amazing. So, is this the same as Fediment? Is that what you're referring to with the coin pool? No, I can send you the, the actually white paper. Is there's an article on Bitcoin Magazine coinpool.dev. Okay, we'll have a link to that in the show notes yeah. for for folks to check out. And that is uh, where the white paper is located. And it shows, uh, you know, and there's article. I mean, it's being published in February of this year. So it's recent and it's quite amazing. The only thing is just like Lightning Network, it required a soft fork to introduce mm. uh, the SegWit. SegWit was required for Lightning Network to function. Now, this coin pool requires uh, three different new features upcode to be introduced in Bitcoin. And so, again, there was a lot of, uh, there's taproot that just got introduced recently. It's so conservative, the field of Bitcoin, that it takes a while before something else will be introduced. So it's probably going to be maybe another year or two before we see uh, any traction in regards to coin pool, uh, the, the, those features be introduced. I mean, they mentioned it in the, in the white paper. And uh, I feel not what in the details. As the expert on studying Satoshi, what do you think he would think of all of this activity that's happening and the second layers? You know, from the writings that I've read, he seemed well-versed on a lot of the traditional protocols and how the internet functioned and uh, was well aware of building in layers on top as you continued to move out of the the base protocols. What do you think he would think of Bitcoin specifically? And then what do you think he would think of all these other protocols that are competing, quote unquote, competing against Bitcoin and maybe their culture and, and whatnot? Yeah. You mean um, um, other blockchain? Yeah. Other, other, yeah, you call like it Ethereum or whatever. Or yeah. That kind of thing. Or, yeah. yeah. I actually don't know. It'll be, so the only exist reference we have is BitDNS, and that was very limited in terms of what it was doing. All it did was storing information about in the blockchain as a database of this domain name, this IP address. So very limited in terms of what it was doing. So it was not something that you expect that will be bloated in size. It will not be used as to make transaction of payments to one or another, but strictly to transact domain name. So in terms of requirements for was not, it would not have been beefed up. So in terms of a transaction per seconds and that kind of thing. So what would you think about things like Ethereum, who's got a terabytes of terabytes of size in terms of blockchain size and that kind of thing? I don't know. I, I mean, he had the calculations um, in the white paper to keep it so that you could run as many nodes. He talks about that yeah, in his writings about yeah, the importance yeah. of everybody being able to run nodes. Yeah, I know. But um, again, it's um, a matter of perspective. 
Mm-hmm. His perspective was 2009 and there's no lightning network. And we do have compared to in 2000, the bandwidth is much higher today. We're able to do video easily without thinking. And so uh, from that perspective as, okay, I guess in the next 10, 20 years, we could be able to afford more bandwidth and that will be our ways. But obviously it might be a challenge in terms of how fast the technology will adjust to the Bitcoin's transaction or that kind of thing. But I'm thinking it's like all the, he didn't had the, the full perspective that we have today. So it was a different perspective. So how to imagine how you would think based on what he, it's dangerous in some way. I love that response. And I love how guarded you are to not yeah. try to, because it's important. It, it's, you know, I tell my son, it's like, it's way more important to define what it is you don't know than what you do know. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, you're yes. on full yeah. display demonstrating that right now, Phil. I, and I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I really respect that. <laughs> no, I do. I really respect that. What do you think, uh, when you go through his writings, what do you think Satoshi was most worried about? Well, the main part that we know is the very, you know, the part where he talks about WikiLeaks. That is almost his last post. You know, and the last post is about the Bitcoin release something. And the one before that is about WikiLeaks, you know, suggested that being used using Bitcoin. And he was a little bit afraid of that. So I wonder sometimes if we keep forgetting that, what are the other reasons why he was anonymous? Would it be, for example, I, I was so surprised to see that there's that guy in, I think in the UK, got arrested because he coded. I'm not sure if you saw that. He coded something. I forgot the name of that thing. It's, I think it's on Ethereum. It's some sort yeah. of a pool thingy. On yeah. It's like a mixer. Yeah. Tornado yeah, mixer. cash. Yeah. He just created the thing. So it's a smart contract that allow for all of that to happen. And they arrested them just for coding this. Yeah. That's like. That's crazy. <laughs> so is this the kind of thing in the beginning that was in the mindset of, of Satoshi to avoid, it's like if I stay anonymous, I'm, at least I'm avoiding any of any, I mean, today, we're not thinking, if it was still around today, nobody would think he, he would get arrested uh, because uh, you know, the, it's dominance, it's used, it's decentralized. And, uh, but at the time, you don't know the reactions and so on. And um, so I actually wonder if that was part of the thing that he was a little bit afraid of. And one of the reasons why he decided to leave after, okay, WikiLeaks starting to, and we know what happened with WikiLeaks. And there's, if I keep going, staying around, there's more chances that I'm the uh, face. powers that yeah. shouldn't be eventually detect who I really am or, you know, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm speculating here, but. One of the things in the book, it's in there that we're talking about here with the WikiLeaks is when WikiLeaks, uh, their financing was basically taken offline by the government. Um, there was folks on the forum that were saying, hey, this is our huge chance for Bitcoin to basically step up into this void. And Satoshi had a response that Phil you know, highlights in the book. And Satoshi was like, no, we're nowhere near ready for this. And trust me, you don't want this type of attention. We have a whole lot more that we've got to work on and we got to get right before we step into the limelight like this. And yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm actually curious to know if you would consider this. Obviously, eventually it has been used with um, a Silk Road, that kind of thing for project that would be totally against beyond WikiLeaks. So I wonder what he thinks of um, the readiness level of Bitcoin today. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, 
the, the, the challenge will still remain in the sense that where they are in control, uh, the governments and banking system, is the exit and entry points. You now, for mm-hmm. those who wants to go back in dollars mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So that is still where they have control and they will always, because now that's, but itself, the, um, the protocol itself, you know, they would need to control the entire planet to be able to satisfy uh, a yeah. shutdown of Bitcoin, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, for a person who's just coming into Bitcoin and trying to learn more, uh, it's overwhelming. And yeah. I'm kind of curious where you would have them start. Oh, so actually, you know, I don't refer my book as a starting point. I think the, it, it depends on that person, actually, the background. Yeah. If yeah. it's a person that is with a software background, but doesn't have any economic background, then the Bitcoin standard will be a good uh, suggestion. Mm-hmm. You know? So if they have, uh, so the Bitcoin standard is for someone who has an economic background. Uh, it, it doesn't need to read the Bitcoin standard as much because it covers mostly the economic side of things. Yeah. So for someone who wants to understand more about the uh, functioning and all that, then, well, obviously, chapter two covers a little bit. I give a little bit of insight on that. So that at least they have an idea. And as well as, um, well, there are some that are a little bit more technical. So Jimmy uh, Song has a good one. And I, I know Andreas has another good one that's pretty technical for people that want to. Yeah, that yeah. Path. It depends on uh, their level of, because if it's an, someone with an economic background uh, who doesn't have much expertise in, I, I don't want to throw them into something highly technical. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they'll, they'll help you, you know, so that's why. (laughs) So, and that's where uh, I actually mostly dealt with people that were lacking in the economic side. So that's why I had uh, this reference book mostly. But when uh, I think about the people that have an economic background, but not a big software background, then it's uh, a little bit more complex. Mm-hmm. But um, I will refer them to uh, well the white paper, definitely and the white paper, my book, and yeah, um, yeah it's always a good thing because it's not that complex too much. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's there are terms that they're not uh, completely familiar with, but at least uh, it will give them an idea. Well, since you don't promote your book in those recommendations, I'm going to do it right now. Um, okay. I think for people that have been in the space for a little while and have heard a lot of the different talking points, I think that that your book does such a good job because there's so much breadth in a lot of different topics that I think for a person who's not familiar with the forum posts and how much Satoshi actually wrote and put out there, they're going to be blown away at the depth of his writings and how much is out there from him, you know the guy or her. Yeah. And uh, I just, I find it to be such a baseline, like important thing for a person to read and go through to fully understand what it is that they're participating in. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Uh, I think I got one more for you here, Phil. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. You have a new book you're working on. You told me this in passing. I want you to yeah. talk about this and tell, and it's not coming out for a couple months. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I still have 80% uh, done, so about 20% left of writing okay. to do. Yeah. Uh, about two and a half chapters. What, and, it, what uh, is it on? Well, it covers Bitcoin and all the other coins as well. 
Okay. So, and all the technologies are, you know, proof of stake, proof of work, and, yeah. and, and so on. And basically putting them and analyzing them in terms of the decentralized aspect, how, what their fairness and now, and I try to be as bi- unbiased as possible. Yeah. But I, I tend to believe that I'm going to be getting tomatoes from both sides. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, altcoiners will say that I'm a Bitcoin maximalist in disguise, while the Bitcoin maximalists will say that I'm um, promoting the, the shitcoins, you know, in some yeah. way, so just by talking about them, basically. <laughs> and um, so, <laughs> but what I do, I mean, what I did love, just because uh, I almost go over a debate with myself, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I need to... When I write those things, I'm trying to uh, look at it from both angles and so on. But I'm trying to pick the negative side and the positive side of both coin and both sides, and to make them obviously as much as possible all the points I could think of that the arguments that are topics of um, value, so that people can actually can understand. Oh, okay, now I have a little bit more understanding of the whole spectrum. What is actually important to look for? And I shouldn't be looking at the proof of work coin that is using SHA-256 that just started like this. Now I have to be familiar with this impact of the ash power, or even if it's not using SHA-256, whatever hash it's using, how many other coins are using the exact same hash? Because mm-hmm. now all the miners are going to be competing against with that same specific uh, ash power you know, specialized hardware, they could all move around and play with those things and fight each other and um, destroy one chain that is using this weak, uh, it has weaker hash power on that same. So even if you're not using SHA-256, you might have a problem anyway, you know, between, between all those. And there's an example of uh, those that are using the same, you know, and multiple, they're not SHA-256, they wanted to differentiate, but... There are many that are using the same anyway, you know, so mm-hmm. it's a problem and that is has to be aware of, you know. Um, so anyway, I cover many topics. I talk about also the uh, zero knowledge proof, um, how it is. And I, I hired a guy for making uh, some images. So at least it'll be cute. And um, so because um, I find zero knowledge proof fascinating too uh, in mm-hmm. itself as a and I could see whatever those things that are happening in altcoin, there are technology, pieces of technologies that eventually they'll be back in some way in layer two Bitcoin or mm-hmm. in some other way through even possibly through uh, the Bitcoin, uh, uh, new opcodes for Bitcoin in the future. Once, because it's very conservative Bitcoin, and that's the pure thing of it. Once those things have been established enough, you would have those features eventually. Things have, are not done for Bitcoin. R&D. Yeah, yes, <laughs> definitely. Phil, what a pleasure having you on. Uh, I know we've mentioned the name of the book here quite a few times. The book is called The Book of Satoshi. You'll have another one coming out, but we'll have a link to The Book of Satoshi in the show notes. We'll have a link to your Twitter feed. Is there anything else that you wanted to highlight uh, to the audience? No, that's um, that's pretty much it. I think we covered... Uh, pretty much it was great talking to you awesome talking to you phil i mean this is i'm kind of blown away i think i've almost done 
close to like a hundred episodes of this uh-huh. uh, Bitcoin fundamentals. And I have no idea how I've waited this long to bring you on the show for how often I reference your book. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a pleasure. Yeah. It's a pleasure talking with you. Thank yeah, you so yeah, much for making yeah. time. No problem. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. The Bitcoin-specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.